Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala Rasulihi al-Kareem. Amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Now, discourse number two of Rumi's Fihi Ma Fihi. All right. Someone said, our master is not saying anything. Well, I replied, this person has been projected up to my presence by a mental image of mine. This image of mine did not ask him, how are you, or how do you do? My mental image attracted him here without the use of words. If my reality attracts him without words and can remove him hence to another place, what is so strange about that? <coughs> oh, is there another sentence here? Words are but shadows of reality. They are, as it were, a branch of reality. If the shadow can attract, how much more so can the reality attract? Okay, so, so they're sitting with the teacher, okay, and they're saying the teacher's quiet. Okay. And so Rumi's saying, it was the thought of me that brought you here. Okay. And, and so it wasn't me saying you come here. And this thought didn't say, you know, how are you, visit me, or anything like that. But it was thought. So, <clears throat> the point is that, what words do I need to say? There is something happening, uh, we might say, in our imagination, with you and I sitting here. And this is a lesson a bit on how reality is layered. So one layer is just what we say, yeah. what we say to each other. Another layer is, you know, our physical existence. And so think of the way a shadow, would you call a shadow reality? What do you think? Uh, it could be proof of something real. Mm-hmm. I guess it's part of reality. It's part of so it's a, it would be like a, a sign yeah. of something, right? And so the shadow of my hand is not my hand. And so he's saying that's what words really are. They're shadows of you. Yeah. And, and so this is going to be a, a, a big theme, as we said throughout this whole text, you know, figuring out the nature of reality. And then when you're ready, go on to the next Words are just pretexts. It is the element of sympathy that attracts one man to another, not words. If a man should see a thousand prophetic or saintly miracles, it will profit him nothing if he does not have sympathy with the prophet or saint. Mm -hmm. It is that sympathetic element that unsettles and disquiets. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, so we, had, we made this point before, right, in the previous, um, previous discourse, that some people need a miracle for their heart to open. But for another person, it's not going to help them. And what did um, Abbas also have? He already had some sympathy for the Prophet, peace be upon him. He already had some love for the Prophet, peace be upon him. And through that, the miracle will then work for him. Okay. Uh, but for the other people who were there, who were held prisoner, a miracle probably wouldn't have helped. Right? And so, so, back to the question, what is it that opens a person's heart? Words may not help anything. 
but what is the sentiment that comes with a word? So if I say, you need to believe in God, I care about you, versus, you know, you really get the sense that I actually care. Those are two different things. sympathy to amber and straw, then straw could never be attracted by amber. The sympathy between them is hidden, however. It cannot be seen. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> straw and amber basically is, is related to static electricity. I don't know if there's a footnote there. Yeah. And so, where does the electricity, where does the energy come from? It's the rubbing of the straw and the amber. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so, the point being that a major aspect of reality is the exchange, is the connection. And the connection is often hidden. What connection? You know, a person-to-person -person connection. Okay. So you might have two people sitting next to each other. And let's say they don't talk to each other. You're on a bus, they don't talk to each other the whole time. You may not know what the connection is between them two. It's invisible. But it is something real. That if... Two people, uh, two people are very close to each other, like family members, and let's say the relationship breaks, they both physically feel it, even though it's not a thing, right? It's not an apparent thing. No. The mental image of anything brings man to that thing. The image of garden leads him to a garden, the image of shop to a shop. There is, however, a deception hidden in these images. Don't you see that often, when you go to a place, you are disappointed and say, I thought it would be better. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. These images are like shrouds, and one can hide beneath a shroud. When the images are dispelled and the realities appear without the shroud of the mental image, there is a reawakening. When the case is thus, there is no occasion for disappointment. The reality that tracks you is nothing other than itself. The day whereon all secret thoughts and actions shall be examined into. Okay. So, <clears throat> imagine like when you were coming to this office. First it was your thought, right? Like, I have to come to class, or Rumi, or Muzaffar's office, whatever it is, right? And so it's the thought that initiates it. It's the thought that motivates everything, right? He uses the language of mental image. Yeah. Now, then he says... Within thoughts, there's a secret deception. And that is, he says, like, you know, haven't you ever been to a place where you thought it was good and they get disappointed, right? Or you get a meal, you order a meal, and you're expecting it to be delicious and satisfying, and it's not. So the thought is itself, um, it's an ishara, right? It's pointing to something. but it may be there to deceive you. So it's a type of wish as opposed to just an image. On the Day of Judgment, there's not going to be any deception. You're going to see reality for what it is. Right now, we tend to see reality for what we want it to be. And that includes when we see reality as negative. It's, uh, this is a point I often have to make with some students uh, who, for whom everything the, they twist to unhappiness, right? 
And um, I'm seeing to think of one student who will have like the greatest week of their life and literally the very next day they're talking about how much life sucks, right? The day after that, life sucks. The day after that, life sucks. And I'm saying that's also a wish. Right? Self-loathing, self-love is a narcissism, but self-loathing is also a type of narcissism. Because you're obsessed with yourself. Yeah. So in the same way, the thought that you have of something is essentially a wish, even if it is negative. And so your perspective on reality, what you see as reality, a big part of that is a wish. It's what you want it to be. Even though it might be negative. So it becomes masochistic for some of us. Okay. You read or wrote? I read. <laughs> oh, which book? Awareness. Remember I told you about it? So that's oh. all it was about. It's about reality and how we don't see reality as it actually is and how everybody mm. has their own perceptions of it and mm. how not being able to see it for what it actually is causes unhappiness. Because mm. like, we actually all have everything we need right now to be uh -huh. happy, but we just have these unhealthy attachments. Yeah. And so once we drop that, then we will no longer be disillusioned. Yeah. That'll lead us to finding happiness within ourselves. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, what is this of which we are speaking? In reality, the attractor is one, but it appears to be many. Don't you see how a person often has a hundred different wants? I want vermicelli. I What's want vermicelli? Savanya. Uh, oh. <coughs> what are you going to oh, say? I was going to say the other one. I forgot the name of it, never mind. <laughs> I want pastry, I want sweets, I want fritters, I want fruit, I want dates. These appear to be many different wants that have been expressed verbally. The origin of them all, however, is one, and that is hunger. Don't you see that when this same person has had his fill of any one of these things, he will say, I don't need any of the rest. It is obvious, therefore, that there were not ten things or a hundred, but only one. We have expressed the number of them only for an occasion of discord. <coughs> okay. So, we said this mental image, this thought that I have is a wish. And so what's motivating the wish? It is internal yearning. So every one of us has yearning. <coughs> and then our lifelong goal is to satisfy that yearning. Sometimes that internal yearning gets satisfied, at least temporarily, with a big meal. And this is an experiment to do when, you know, when fasting time comes. Um, is it easier for you to make dua when you're fasting? Aside from the fact that you're, you're exhausted. Because what are we saying? At the core of yearning is need. Every one of us has need. Okay. And so... The need might be fulfilled by many different things, yeah. or might be temporarily fulfilled by many different things, but the goal is to figure out what is your actual need. So take, think of someone who loves to go shopping. Yeah. What is that person's actual need? Uh, it's probably not uh, ownership of something. Maybe it is. It might be the desire to have something new. So it could be a desire for change, right? Um, and so the goal is with whatever our 
yearnings are, like a yearning for food, a yearning for attention, figure out what the actual yearning is that you're trying to satisfy by way of attention. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the discord, the trial of having so many things, is that it's easy for you to misinterpret what your actual yearning is. That becomes part of your test. among people is deceiving, for they say, this is one, and these are a hundred. That is, they say that a saint is unique, while the many they call a hundred or a thousand. This is a great deception. This way of thinking you have that calls the many multiples and the one unique is extremely deceptive. We have expressed the number of them only for an occasion of discord. Which hundred, which fifty, which sixty? People, lost and uncontrolled, without reason, mindless like a talisman, they quiver like mercury and quicksilver. Will you call them sixty, a hundred, a thousand, and yet call this one one? You might as well call him nothing and him a thousand, or a hundred thousand, or a thousand thousand. Few if counted, few, few, few if counted, many in force. Mm -hmm. So, the same thing then applies <coughs> with people. So, the difference between the wali and the lay believer is that the wali is very clear about, about uh, his or her own yearnings. Yeah. And that person, because their yearning is far more concentrated, their yearning is as strong as the yearning of maybe 50 other people. Yeah. And what is it a yearning for? It is a yearning for Allah. That is the core yearning that everyone has. And so... Uh, this core, core yearning, which is a yearning for Allah, is so buried deep inside of me that I don't realize it's for Allah. And so then I try to compensate for that feeling of yearning, that unmet need, with whatever behaviors I'm doing. king once gave a single soldier enough rations for a hundred men. The army objected, but the king said to himself, The day will come when I will show you why I do this. On the day of battle, all fled except for that one man who stood and fought. Here is my reason for what I did, said the king. Man must strip secondary motives from his power of discerning and look to religion for assistance, for it is religion that is capable of discovering whence comes aid. Mm. If, however, a man spends his life with the undiscerning, his own discernment will grow weak and he will be unable to recognize the power of religion. Mm. You cultivate this physical existence in which there is no discernment. Discernment is merely one of its attributes. Don't you see that a madman has physicality but no discernment? Mm -hmm. Discernment is that subtle concept that is inside you, 
but night and day you are occupied with nourishing that physical being indiscriminately. You labor under the false pretext that the subtle concept subsists throughout the physical being, through the physical being, when it is actually the other way around. How is it that you expend all your energies caring for the physical and totally neglect the subtle, when it is the physical that subsists through the subtle and not the other way around? Mm-hmm. So, so what else is taking place here? We got the story of the king. <clears throat> and why does he pay that one soldier a hundred a hundred rations versus everyone else? Because that soldier is going to stay. Okay. But it could also be that that soldier is staying because he's receiving a hundred rations, right? But the bottom line, the king is saying it's a worthy investment. Okay. That maybe if I give all these other people a hundred rations, they may not stay. But I know he will. And so that one is like the saint, or the wali. And so it's as though the wali's prayers are answered more. So it's like the more religious you are, the more your prayers are answered? Yeah, the more closer you are to Allah. The word, you know, religious always confuses me. Like, would you call yourself religious? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Okay. Would you call me religious? Yeah. Why? Because you pray five times a day. Yeah, but my dad prays five times a day in a masjid. So when I think religious, I think of him. Although I probably do pray two or three in the masjid here depending on the time it's of the year. Okay, but so I'm just saying that uh, I don't know if I understand what that word is. So closer to God. Yeah, for this I'm saying yeah, yeah. someone who's closer to God. Yeah. And But what is it that's making that person closer to God that they have more clarity in terms of their yearning? Okay. So their prayers are being answered because they're closer to God or their prayers are being answered because they're, they're more clear in terms of their yearning. All those are the same things uh, explained different ways. And then the next big point <coughs> relates to whom, with whom it is we keep our company. So if I put myself in the company of people who are scrupulous about their deen, uh, that will have effect on me where I will become scrupulous about my deen. If I put myself in the company of people who are not, then it'll start to affect me. And to take this point further, you're always in the company of someone or something. At the very least, you're always in the company of your, with yourself, which then means your thoughts. With social media, you're in the company of an artificial person. That artificial person is your phone or your computer that's constantly speaking by way of spewing whatever is in your newsfeed. So that affects you in the way a person would affect you, a person in your company. And it's interesting because we might watch TV shows that feature a bunch of people whom we would never allow in our houses. But they are in our consciousness because we're watching the TV show. See what I'm saying?
And then the next big point is where am I, what aspect of myself am I trying to nurture? What I should be trying to nurture is my heart. What a lot of people try to nurture is their body. How? With diet, exercise, all those things. And yeah, you should, but we don't give our heart as much attention. Through the light escape. What was it? Yeah. The light escapes. Yeah. That light escapes through the apertures of the eyes and ears and so forth. If you do not have these apertures, it would escape through others. It is as though you were to bring a lamp outside in order to see the sun. Even if you were to bring no lamp, the sun would still show itself. What do you need a lamp for? Um. Okay. Yeah. So. So, <clears throat> you have light inside of you. And sometimes the light gets buried. And I use the term walls. There, there might be all these walls that have buried the light inside of me. So the goal is to remove these walls so that I can beam the internal light that's within me. Yeah? Huh? So far so good? Wait, could you explain if you were to bring a lamp outside in order to see the sun? Okay. So, <clears throat> the point being that um, you are, so to speak, the sun. Okay, with all this light burnt beaming from you. Okay, I mean I'm going to give you a couple ways to read this metaphor. One is that you are the sun, with all this light beaming from you. And you can derive your validation from someone else, meaning you could rely on someone else's light for you to see your own self. So part of this is an issue of self-esteem. In our language, self-esteem. But what you should rather do is appreciate your life, life, light coming from within yourself. Your innate value. So far so good? Or you can read the metaphor of the sun being the light of Allah. And you can try to impose your own vision on the light of Allah. Or you can allow the light of Allah to, to spread into you. Make sense? Yes, yeah, so it's like eyes and nose, basically. Yes, exactly. Deep. Okay, continue. 
One must not despair of God, for hope is the first step on the road to salvation. Even if you do not travel the road, at least keep the road open. Do not say that you have gone astray. Oh, wait, did, uh, isn't there like a whole paragraph above this? No. Oh, this edition has a different, uh, a different part. Okay. Do you want to read that paragraph? So this one says, this is the danger in associating with kings. You know everything like that? Wow. It is not that you may lose your life. We must lose our life in the end anyway. Whether today or tomorrow does not matter. The danger arises from the fact that when kings enter upon the scene and the spell of their influence gains strength, becoming like a great lamp, the person who keeps company with them, claims their friendship and accepts money from them, will inevitably speak in accordance with their desires. That person will listen to the king's mundane views with the utmost intention and will not be able to deny them. So how would you understand this point? In, in regards to, we were just saying about light. So some people will give up their own light to better the light of others. Light. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> instead of relying on the light of Allah, you're going to rely on, uh, uh, if you, you'll find yourself relying on the light of the king. And that could be the patron someone who is paying you, then you're going to find yourself listening carefully to them, even to their, you know, mundane statements. And you're going to be basically masking your own light. Or masking the light of Allah. Okay. So that also relates to whom are you valuing. So one point we made is from whom are you getting validation? Are you getting validation from your own sense of worth? Or are you getting validation from someone else? Likewise, who is giving you value? Is it the king's attention or your own? Or is it Allah who's, from whom you're seeking value? Okay. Let's continue. One must not despair of God, for hope is the first step on the road to salvation. Even if you do not travel the road, at least keep the road open. Do not say that you have gone astray. Take the straight way and there will be no crookedness. Straightness is the quality of Moses' staff. The kings are in the staves of the sorcerers. When straightness comes, it devours all the others. If you have done evil, you have done it to yourself. How could the evil you have done ever reach him? When a bird perches on a mountain top and then flies away, what has the mountain gained or lost? When you straighten yourself out, nothing else remains. Do not abandon hope. Mm -hmm. So there, <clears throat> the key point here, you know, we made, uh, made a point before that for some people, the doorway is hope. right? And I often have to make a point to students who feel that you know, they have no hope, that okay, the fact that they came to me means by definition they have hope. Even if they might regard it as a last resort, it's still a statement of hope. Right? So never, ever, ever give up hope. The path of Iblis was to give up hope. Right? Iblis never asked for forgiveness. And, yeah, okay, let's continue. The danger in associating with kings is not that you may... There it is. Oh, is it? Oh, out of order. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay. We want to read the paragraph. I know it's any different. The danger in associating with kings is not that you may lose your life, for in the end you must lose it sooner or later. The danger lies in the fact that when these kings and their carnal souls gain strength, they become dragons, and the person who converses with them claims their friendship 
or accepts well from them must in the end speak as they would have, have him speak and accept their evil opinions in order to preserve himself. He is unable to speak in opposition to them. Therein lies the danger, for his religion suffers. The further you go in the direction of kings, the more the other, the, the more the other direction, which is the principal one, becomes strange to you. The further you go in that direction, this direction, which should be beloved to you, turns its face away from you. The more you accommodate yourself to worldly people, the more the proper, the more the proper object of love grows estranged from you. Whosoever rendereth aid to the unjust is subjugated to them by God. When you have fully inclined toward the one to whom you are inclining, he will be made master over you. Okay. So, continuing that point about the kings, <coughs> whomever it is, or from whomever it is that you're seeking validation, attention, respect, they become masters over you. So you should only seek validation, attention, respect from Allah. sentence might be my favorite sentence of the book. It is a pity to reach the sea and be satisfied with only a cup full of water. Yeah. Keep going. When pearls and hundreds of thousands of beneficial things can be extracted from the sea, what is the use of taking water? What pride does a rational man have in doing such a thing? This world is but foam, while the ocean full of water is the knowledge of the saints. Where then lies the pearl? This world is foam, full of flotsam and jutsam. However, from the turning of the waves and the accord between the churning of the sea and the quaking of the waves, that foam takes on a beauty. For the love and eager desire of wives and children and some, and sums heaped up of gold and silver and excellent horses and cattle and land is made beautiful for men. This is the provision of the present life. Mm-hmm. Now, since God said that it is made beautiful, it is not really beautiful. Its beauty is vicarious of another place. It is a gilded counterfeit coin. That is to say, this world, which is foam, is counterfeit, without worth, without value. We have gilded it, for it is made beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so, when you see foam on a wave, and the waves are moving rhythmically, that foam looks beautiful. Okay. Even though foam is just a bunch of bubbles and maybe even some trash, right? But it's the waves that give beauty to the foam, okay? And he's saying that's a big lesson on how reality works. Most of reality that you and I see is just foam. But what is behind it, or what is behind, what is behind, what is behind, what is behind it, being Allah, is the source of the beauty. Whereas the foam itself is not something to aspire to. Most people aspire, when we say people aspire to dunya, most people are really aspiring to the foam. Because let's say my goal in life is to get a mansion. Um, It's only going to be useful for me for 20 years, 30 years, and then someone else is going to move into it, and eventually it's going to get torn down, and eventually it's going to be forgotten, like a sandcastle. Right? Or let's say my goal is you know, a really nice car. Same thing. I mean, how many people keep their cars for, for, for that long? 
And so it's for a short burst of, of, of joy. And those are aspirations of things that are part of this temporary world, which is like foam on the ocean. Some people don't know that the pearls exist. Correct. That's, for some people, that's all they know. That is absolutely true. And this is part of what he's saying, that, okay, the sea, so not only is it the foam, you got the ocean, but then within the ocean, you have pearls and everything else. And so another way to frame this is that when you enter into the life of faith, into the life of Dean, life is much more rich in terms of what it offers. Make sense? Like, the life itself is not much, but it's what you can gain. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, okay. Mm. Um, the human being is an astrolabe. 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 Oops. Astrolabe. What's an astrolabe? An astrolabe is like an astronomy tool to help you figure out where all the stars are. It's like a compass in the way it's used. So a compass is telling you north, south, east, west, right? An astrolabe is, is letting you, is you're using to position the stars in, it's like a, well, actually, let's do a quick Google search. It's, it's like a device that looks like it's brass. It has all these holes in it where you line up the, uh, the stars and they'll give you a sense of direction. So, astrolabe. So human beings are the astrolabe of, of this Allah? Yeah. yeah. The human being is an astrolabe of God, but one needs an astronomer to know how to use the astrolabe. If a seller of leeks or a green grocer were to possess an astrolabe, what use could he make of it? How could he fathom the conditions of these celestial spheres, the turning of these zodiacal signs, or their influences? In the hands of an astronomer, the astrolabe is beneficial. For whoso knoweth him or herself knoweth his or her Lord. Mm -hmm. Just as this brass astrolabe is a mirror of the heavens, the human being, and we have honored the children of Adam, mm -hmm. is an astrolabe of God. Mm -hmm. When God makes a person to know himself through the astrolabe of that person's own being, he can witness the manifestation of God and his unqualified beauty moment by moment and glimmer by glimmer. <coughs> that beauty is never absent from this mirror. God has servants who cover themselves with wisdom, mystical knowledge, and miracles, even though people do not have the perspicacity to see them. They cover themselves out of their extraordinary zeal, as Mutanabdi says. They put on brocades not to beautify themselves, but that they may protect thereby their beauty. Okay, so the, the first part of this discourse was speaking about <coughs> the reality of things. The words are not the reality. Okay. And then from there we start talking about need and yearning. Okay. And now this part we're saying that humans are the astrolabe of God, meaning our natural direction is towards God. That is our default disposition. And the more pure we are, the more that default really becomes the default.
And there are some people who want to not at all be distracted from God, so they try to keep their distance from people. They hide their piety, not out of humility, but because they don't want to be distracted. So let's say, you know, you have someone who wants to listen to the football game and there's too much noise, so they move into a different room so they can listen to the rest of the football game. And so that person may not be arrogant, but that person really wants to listen to the football game. Such is the case with some people. In other words, they may hide from people. Not out of arrogance or humility. Not out of arrogance or humility. Sort of just to get the job done, and their job is just to be close to Allah. Any questions? No. Okay, inshallah. Alright, we'll continue next time, inshallah, with discourse number three. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasakfiruka natubi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasakfiruka natubi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasakfiruka natubi lake. Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.